Before both town halls are played, both myself and Vice President Bo will be town hall debate. This is because, though originally intended to be a debate, the event split into two town halls due to Senator Leclerc's late arrival. Now, without further ado, enjoy the town halls. Good afternoon from our ABC studio in New York. I'm Steb, and I welcome you to the first presidential debate between Vice President Bo and Senate Majority Leader Epsilon Leclerc. If you're ready, we'll begin with the first segment related to foreign policy. My first question is as follows. What is your opinion on the various actions perpetrated by the Chinese government, which many nations worldwide have deemed illegal, including the military activities in the South China Sea and the actions taken against Uyghurs in Xinjiang. Do you believe the United States should work to stop this, and if so, how? So we have to realize when it comes to working with China that we can recognize their their legal actions, we can recognize the bad things that they're doing, um, things like that, but we have to we have to work with them no matter what. They're an important um, part of the global community, and while we can condemn these actions, we need to try to work and and find solutions to things like in the South China Sea to to ethnic issues going on going on in their country. Of course, we had the the incident this year, the hostage situation, which during my time as acting president, we were able to to release the Chinese hostage back to back to Africa. I just think that best the best course of action, in my opinion, is to try to work out um, deals and and things like that, which are beneficial to both nations but yes the united states and as we begin moving forward breaking the foreign policy consensus the status quo increasing um collaboration with our allies worldwide we can we can pressure them we can pressure china to to make the make the right decision um when it comes to when it comes to the many issues which are which are in that part of the world we will move on to the next question, which is, um, do you believe the United States has an adequate military budget to sustain your foreign policy proposals? If not, what level do you believe it should be raised or lowered to? I do think that the United States should increase military spending, and I'm not a militarist. I don't think that we should be using our military force um, worldwide unless absolutely necessary, unless there's necessary, unless we're provoked. Um, Things like that. But like I said, I do support increasing the military because for the past three years, there have been cuts and cuts and slashes um, to the military budget, to our military force. And it's just not sustainable for us here at home. Um, of course, one of the biggest issues for this past administration was the, the Chinese drone incident. And I think one of the biggest problems with that is that we were only able to know that that drone was there when it was right outside of our waters. We did not know that that was coming. We had no, we had no way to be able to to sense things like that. So I'm mainly saying we need to have the military prepared and ready here at home in case something happens. And of course, there may be an increased chance for for military conflict as as things like that come um, come along. And of course, just here at home, we need to be able to prepare and sustain ourselves with the with the military force. If if you could be more specific, is there a specific figure you plan to raise the military budget to? 
I, I don't have a specific number on hand. It's not it's not something absurd. It's not it's not going to be like hundred billion dollars. It's not going to be fifty. It's not going to be twenty. It it would be a moderate raise as we as we evaluate what we need moving forward. There have been reports and and uh, publications in the past of what programs we've we've had to cut, what things we've had to stop using, what um what services and things we've had to stop commissioning. So I think it's important that we we evaluate as time moves on. Okay, this is what we need to do. Um, 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 I don't know what. This is what we need to do to be able to protect ourselves and have the the strong military necessary here at home. So I I don't have an exact figure. It would just be a determination, along with of course other factors when it comes to to crafting a crafting a budget, um, balancing other domestic things or, or other um, other spending. Thank you. Uh, if we move on to the third and final question from this segment, um, do you agree with the foreign policy conducted by the previous administrations, uh, most recently the Sandoval administration, and what would you work to change? So, for like I said, for three years, the policy consensus, the status quo has been moving us more and more to into isolationism, us not talking to to our allies, letting global atrocities go um, go unnoticed as we just kind of do our own thing here at home. And while sometimes that's okay, and I'm glad to see more political figures now move move away from that from that consensus. Um, and it's something that was that was started a little bit under the Garland administration and was furthered in this administration. Of course, we didn't. There were some slip ups along the way, but rebuilding our um, rebuilding our nation standing around the world is not something that we're going to be able to do overnight. It's not something we're going to be able to do over the course of one administration or, or even two um, to go back to pre-2018 levels. Um, so which is why like we've um, in this administration, we've done things like negotiate trade deals. We've we've talked extensively with other nations, and this sort of just was not present in other administrations. So, of course, I agree with the over um, the overarching overarching um, doctrine, I guess, of increased um, presence of the United States worldwide. Um, that's not necessarily um, military, but is rather diplomatic. Um, and I would seek to to increase that increase that mandate um, in the um, in a bow administration. Thank you. Uh, that concludes the first segment. We now move on to economic policy. And my first question is this: Do you agree with the direct tax amendment and the thirty third repeal amendment, which work to give Congress autonomy in regards to taxation diversification? If you are elected president, will the American people see any new taxes? So I do not support the direct tax amendment, nor do I support repealing the Thirty Third Amendment. I believe whatever whatever tax they want. And I remember one of the biggest arguments in favor of the direct tax amendment way back when that was submitted to Congress was that it does not allow for the personal income tax. Now we're starting to see the the true colors of the left majority in Congress show. And that yes, they do want Congress to be able to to tax income as the thirty third amendment repeal is passing through Congress um, through passed through the House now. Um, 
regarding what kind of taxes that I would support, I do support the single tax LVT. Um, for the U.S. government to need another type of taxation shield to sustain itself, to be able to operate, to be able to fund fund its programs. I think it's important that we analyze what options are legal and available for the federal government and have minimal impact on on the working class, the lower income individuals, rather affect large corporations or businesses. Okay. Um, my second question relates to the ongoing budgetary situation. Mm -hmm. uh, what is your opinion on the seemingly inevitable government shutdown, and who do you think is at fault? Well, I think that this is a very interesting, interesting topic. One, so of course we do have a divided government now with um, a right-wing White House and a left majority in Congress. However, with the ability to sustain to sustain vetoes now throughout the throughout the budgetary process the congressional leaders said no we're not going to start negotiating until we have all of the mandated spending reports done which we said okay that's fine and we're, going, and we're trying to fulfill fulfill these requirements to the best of our ability first time in 3 years having having reporting requirements um like I said, for the first time in three years, and a more transparent government departments, which are actually doing things, um, a cabinet is actually doing things. And we said, okay, okay, we're willing to meet on these grounds of not starting negotiations until we hold the budget reports, but we're going to extend the the deadline for a government shutdown. Um, and the left, the left, and so last night we, last night I had came to them and said we need to pass another CR, um so that we can actually negotiate and the left had just had had refused to to pass another cr but their whole argument of okay we we can't negotiate and let alone draft a proper budget until we have the spending reports flat because they they did and they presented this 30 page 30 page document filled with whatever extra stuff which is unrelated to the budget knowing that it is in direct contradictions to the to the wants and demands of the libertarians in Congress, the libertarian Republicans, sorry, in Congress and the White House. Final question on the subject of the economy is: As president, would you pass economic stimulus to invigorate the economy post-pandemic? And if so, do you plan to run a deficit? Economic stimulus would be on a case-by-case -case basis on what the specific bill or or thing like that is. I'm open to it, but it would it's not a a very important issue for me. I support um maybe refocusing um uh, money now into into places which need it need it the most and that would actually impact the American population. Um my administration would not run a deficit unless absolutely necessary like we saw for the first budget of this term which is the which was the first budget passed in in a very long time that had a budget deficit so i would consider um signing and supporting a budget with a deficit if there's an emergency if we need if we absolutely need that spending well with that the second segment of this uh debate has finished 
The third segment relates broadly to domestic policy. Do you believe education should be managed by the federal government? And as president, would you work to bring back the Department of Education? No, I believe that education is a state issue and should stay that way. Um, I believe the federal government can and occasionally should step in, and I would support um, bringing back specific old um, Department of Education programs on a case-by-case basis as long as they're economically sustainable and they don't have negative long-term impacts like the Department of Education at large did. Um, However, my platform and my administration would call for an increase in federal education spending so that the individual individual states through the block grant can have the support they need to provide high quality um, high quality education um, across the nation. Well, thank you. Um, my second question in this segment is, uh, in general, what is your opinion on reparations to African Americans? This, um, I don't, this, at face value, I'm not sure that I would support the idea. However, I would maybe support a commission or a board to look into it and look into the solutions. Um, I don't know, like, a lot of people are calling for, like, a direct payment or whatever. Um, there may be other ways to, to, to go about increasing a more fair society um, through things like criminal justice reform, proper um, proper societal knowledge of the things that happened during during slavery and things like that. But like I said, I I don't know if I would support like direct payments at face value, but I would support something like a commission or a board to to look into it. Well, my final question on the segment of domestic policy is on the topic of gun control and the Second Amendment. What is your general view on firearms, and how would this influence your policy if you are elected president? I am I'm very pro Second Amendment. I support people being able to have the right to to bear arms with the proper safety measures in place. I would support removing some of the possibly unconstitutional restrictions federally. Um, through things like my my good friend Senator Valerie's bill a few sessions ago, which got killed in Congress, which would which would have relieved, um, I believe the restriction on non former nonviolent felons um purchasing a firearm. So yes, I do support the 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 right, the ability for the for the general populace to to own uh the kind of guns that they would like with proper security and safety measures in place. Thank you. Um we now move on to a viewer portion of this town hall. Uh, the first question is direct. Uh, the first question is from a viewer in Dixie who asks, "Do you see the makeup of Congress and the state legislatures as something to worry about?" Um, I I don't really think so because um, um elections for legislative bodies and executive positions are are, are a lot different. Of course, last federal election we had the right wing win the presidency in a landslide, take a majority in the Senate, but the left win all but one. Um, seat in the in the lower chamber of Congress. So I don't think the population is at all unwilling to. Um, I don't think the population is unwilling to vote for vote for a split ticket. They could vote for a libertarian a libertarian Republican for president and a left wing candidate for Senate or and House. 
and maybe I align with their with their views more than than epsilon. And it it could be a voter in the north who's more moderate, um, and then voting for Senate in the House. So I don't really view that as an issue overall. Mm-hmm. Thank you. We move on to uh, a question from a viewer from Jefferson who asks, what is your opinion on the United Nations and why do you believe this? I think that this is another important question. I would not support a withdrawal from the United Nations, but I do I do think we should investigate to see if it's a net positive for our country and society. Um, sorry, the country and the earth as a whole for that to exist. However, I think that if the United States had withdrawn um, or does withdraw, that that would provide more global instability and just further put into that argument of the America is more and more isolationist, which has been really a disaster, like I said earlier. Well, we have a question from a viewer from Puerto Rico who asks, how will you tackle the U.S.'s structural deficit over time? Um, I believe that the best course of action for for this will be um, to be analyzing how how the government is the federal government is spending the money it takes in to see if there's anywhere that we can how we could cut spending if possible. Now, I'm not I'm not saying that my administration would want to further cut spending levels, but it is something to see. Are we wasting money on this? Are we wasting money on this program, even though a state government has the exact same thing um, across the nation? So I just, I just think we need to closely analyze and see if we are wasting our money if um, inefficiently in any way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We now move on to a question from a viewer from Jefferson who asks, what is happening with our transportation and how do you plan to fix the transportation infrastructure in, in this country? Um, I would, I think that the best course of action, so we do need to, to, um, fix our roads and bridges. I believe the best course of action for the federal government is to properly collaborate and manage, manage this issue as a nation with the transportation departments or, or related agencies of the state governments, as I believe that transportation outside of things like interstate highways, things like that, is a more local issue. I don't believe the federal government needs to come in and act like the big boss. I believe the federal government should try to to work and nudge the the states in the the right direction with respect to transportation and infrastructure. Um, and this would come with things like evaluating what um, what programs for the Department of Transportation may be better suited for like a direct grant program or things like that, rather than trying to create a unified infrastructure system across the nation. Now, I would support measures like um, building high-speed rail networks across the nation so that we could be more connected. And of course, things like that are, are more national programs. So um, it really would depend on the type of infrastructure and analyzing how we can better use our nation's capabilities. We now move on to a question from another viewer from Jefferson who asks, what is your opinion on our trade relationship with Mexico? Um, this this is another um, uh, somewhat related to foreign policy. Over time, the United States has been less and less involved with, with trade deals. 
I generally I do support free trade and and specific trade deals with with other nations. I believe one of the actions of my administration would be to analyze specific trade deals that we are in, um, such as with Mexico, or how free trade or things like that impact our nation and our economy. Well, on the subject of free trade, uh, another question I have is, do you support tariffs in a general sense? Uh, not in a general sense. Um, as maybe um, a measure later on after after other after other things are exhausted maybe but the general overarching theory no mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well mr vice president thank you for your time if is there anything that you would like to say before we no. close thank this yeah, thank you for hosting this. I'm I'm extremely disappointed that my opponent couldn't bother to show up despite having agreed agreed to this time. And I hope that eventually we can have a different debate. So thank you for approaching this and everyone here at ABC and everyone for for listening into this quote unquote debate. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Vice President, for of course. attending. And I hope at some point we can have a normal debate with all yep, parties present. Of course. I'm Steb, and I welcome you to the second presidential town hall with Senate Majority Leader Epsilon Leclerc. Hello. It's good to be here. Uh, I am I am sorry for, for not making it to the original debate. That is no one's fault but my own, and uh, the bug really stops with me. Um, so... Anyway, thank you. So if, if you're ready, we'll begin with the first segment related to foreign policy. Well, my first question is as follows. Um, what is your opinion on the various actions perpetrated by the Chinese government, which many nations worldwide have deemed illegal, including the military activities in the South China Sea and the actions taken against Uyghurs in, in Xinjiang? And do you believe the United States mm -hmm. should work to stop this? And if so, how? Uh, yeah, I, I think the actions taken by um, the Chinese government ha has been deplorable, to be honest. Um, both in the, both in the South China Sea and against uh, the Uyghur population in, in Xinjiang, um, I definitely think that uh, the U.S.'s credibility is on the line when it comes to those type of actions, and that if we don't um, show that we're opposed to um, opposed to uh, autocratic actions like what's happening in, in Xinjiang and as well as uh, violations of international law like what's happening in the South China Sea, the U.S. loses credibility um, in, in the eyes of the world and, and isn't really seen as um, a force for good or a, a force for uh, a rules-based uh, democratic order, um, which the U.S. has historically been um, and it should continue to be. Um, it benefits all of us, all of us, to to have a, a world where human rights are not uh, violated in the way they are in in Xinjiang, and and um, to have a world where countries uh, settle their their disputes through um, the the norms and rules that we've all agreed to. For example, the United Nations Convention of Policy. Um, so I would say uh, that. That there, both both of China's uh, actions in those regards are are improper and misguided. 
um, and that the United States should, should be a voice um, against those actions and towards uh, reason. Well, uh, my second question is, uh, do you believe uh, that the United States has an adequate military budget to sustain your foreign policy proposals? And if uh, not, what level do you believe it should be raised or lowered to? So I definitely think that, you know, it's not that the, the military budget is too low for a foreign policy necessarily, but it does uh, weaken part of the credibility of that foreign policy. Um, I would say that the current uh, military budget is just too low in general for United States national security needs. Um, we've had issues with uh, equipment and particularly the Navy um, being quite uh, damaged by the reduction in the military uh, budget. So I would say that um, when it comes to uh, defense, yes, it, yes, it should be raised a little. At least, you know, um, under my platform, we're, our goal is to raise it to at least uh, four hundred billion. So that's that's what we're aiming for. Well, uh, my third question in this segment is simple. Do you agree with the foreign policy conducted by the previous administrations? Uh, most recently, the Sandoval administration, and if not, what would you like to change? Yeah, um, I, I definitely have my disagreements with the Sandoval foreign policy. They've been, it's its a little strange because up front, it makes it seem like they're trying to re-engage with their national community, but they're really not putting much effort into it, unfortunately. Um, I would say I... I um, appreciate efforts by, by the Sandoval administration to at least, you know, re-engage with, with some um, with some countries and, and, formal, and former allies, but um, and to join the uh, comprehensive um, uh, the, the CPTP TPP, yes um, the, the, the replacement agreement to the to the Trans-Pacific Partnership um, and reaching out to um, those countries who decided to continue that agreement on their own without the without U.S. Uh, backing, but um, overall, I would I would say that that it's just a, a, another continuation of libertarian um, foreign policy. Um, it's, it it hasn't really uh, gone anywhere, to be honest. It's it's not it's not a very um, it's not particularly. Act proactive. It, it hasn't reacted to what's happened in Myanmar at all. It, it's still the same old the U.S. is disengaged from the world, even if it's slightly less disengaged than, than what it was before. So I would say I would disagree with the current uh, Sandoval administration's foreign policy. A, a U.S. foreign policy definitely needs to be more active um, and uh, engage with the world to, to really... Um, to really provide the most good to, to everyone involved. We now move on to some uh, viewer questions in regards to foreign policy. The first being from uh, from Jefferson. Mm -hmm. the, question, the question is, uh, what is your opinion on our trade relations with Mexico? That's a good question. Um... I would definitely say that U.S.-Mexico trade relations are of vital importance. Uh, the U.S. shares a long border with Mexico, um, and, and both countries um, participate in an extensive um, commercial trade with one another, and, and there's a lot of goods and, and 
services and people flowing back and forth um, over the border all the time. Um, so I would say that the U.S. trade relationship with Mexico is, is vital and, and really just having, frankly, a stable and open border is, is so um, is so crucial to, to keeping that trade sound and also improving that, that trade. Because I think anybody who's, who's looked at um, the U.S.-Mexico border before, especially border points of entry, um, has seen that there are often very large backups on the border um, due to the uh, due to the the customs checks and and, and the, the 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 border controls, um, and so we have to make sure that that, that is um, that our border and our our uh, our uh, customs uh, operations are, are harmonized with, with those. Um, from from Mexico as well to to reduce um, inefficiencies and in, in the in the speed up um, any any trade between between the U.S. and Mexico. So yeah, it, um, I would as president, I would I would encourage further trade with Mexico. I would seek ways to to make sure that that trade, um, that the free movement of of goods, um, services, and, and people is is as least disrupted a, as possible um, by any. Uh, border uh, by any border policies of an Epsilon administration. We have another question from uh, a Jeffersonian viewer. Uh, the question is, what is your opinion on the United Nations and why do you believe? Uh, I'm a big supporter of, <laughs> I'm a big supporter of uh, the United Nations. I, I believe it's, it's definitely the international forum. Uh, for the United States and in any country to to engage with the international uh, community, um, I'm a big supporter of, of a lot of what was um, a lot of what was uh, said. Uh, oh, sorry, um, a lot of what the United Nations does, um, including uh, uh, the, for example, the, the International Telecommunications Union, which which, which governs. Um, uh, the radio frequencies we use to make sure there's not interference between countries. I'm a big fan of of most of the most of the agencies of the United Nations, um, and so we really need a need to continue backing these agencies, like the World Health Organization, like like the um, like uh, like UN peacekeeping, for example, as well. Um, that that's that's vital to international peace and security in places where there's not really a lot of interest from the world, for example, the Congo, the Central African Republic, South Sudan, where, you know, um, normal powers don't really get involved as much. Um, so, so, or get paid attention to at all. Um, so it's, it's important um, to make sure that, that all these places that maybe people can't point out on a map, but are still of vital importance, especially to the people living there, of course, um, but really, we're, we're all connected. Um, it does affect us. Um, uh, it's important uh, for those regions and, and for, uh, frankly, U.S. national security as well in the, in the long run there. So I, I support the United Nations. I, um, I would be, an Epson administration would be very engaged with the United Nations, um, making sure that, that U.S. interests and, um, and values are, are definitely uh, represented there. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I like the United Nations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, with that, we move on to the second segment. Uh, 
And my first question is this. Do you agree with the direct tax amendment and the 33rd repeal amendment, which work to give mm. Congress more autonomy in regards to tax taxation diversification? Uh, if you are elected president, will the American people see any new taxes? So, so as, um, you know, I, I support both the direct tax amendment and the 33rd amendment repeal. I think uh, Congress should have those options and, and the, the apportionment requirement in the constitution is this old archaic um, provision of the constitution that frankly has, just does not work. It's never worked to be honest, but especially in, in modern day, it's just, it's just, it's always been this uh, broken portion of the constitution um, that's, that's prevented Congress from being able to do what it needs to do to serve the people that elected it. Um, I will say um, as well in, in regards to any, um, any new taxes um, on the people, well, no, not, not, not really on the people. Um, uh, I do support increased public revenue diversity. We, you know, we have the land value tax right now. Um, an Amazon administration would, would support, for example, a corporate income tax, making sure corporations pay their fair share, um, regardless of how much land they owe, they, they own. Um, and furthermore, we would also support a financial transaction tax, which um, would, would, would be a tax on every um, security or, or stock sold um, in the United States. And, and that would affect, given that um, over 90% to my understanding of, of stocks and securities are, are owned by the top 10%, that, that, would, that would fall on, on the wealthy and making sure they pay uh, their fair share as well. Um, but on, on the average person, um, they, there's, there's no plan right now or any time in the future of any tax increase. I, I don't know or think that that's necessary with the fiscal situation that we have right now, um, because it frankly seems like we can fund most of the programs that the American people need by uh, putting this burden on, on those who have the most. Thank you for the answer. Uh, my second question is, uh, uh, my second question relates to the ongoing budgetary negotiations. Mm -hmm. And the question is, uh, what is your opinion on the seemingly inevitable government shutdown? And who do you think mm -hmm. is at fault? Yeah, so in regards to the, to the government shutdown, I mean, to, to my understanding, the, the Sandoval administration, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, has still not put out its own budget, for example, doesn't even have its own priorities set straight. Um, this entire time, you know, the Congress, um, the majority in Congress has been, uh, you know, with the administration through this budgeting process, and we haven't even been we, and we haven't even been able to get simple spending reports from the administration to make sure that, you know, the numbers on our budget are, are, are correct, um, to be honest. Um, so we, we extended, you know, the deadline for uh, a new budget um, by, by creating a one-week continuing resolution, and the administration still wasn't ready to um, actually, you know, you know, pass a budget. They didn't have any drafted budget proposal. They, they, um, the spending reports still weren't all all done. It's we weren't elected to just to just uh, to just vote on and, and and pass continuing resolutions all day. We 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 were voted on. We were voted into office to actually pass a budget. That's our job as Congress is to pass a budget. And so that's what we're going to do is pass a budget. Um, so we drafted the most comprehensive um, budget proposal. Um, 
since the 2018 reforms and and that will that will actually serve the needs of the people because the the sandoval uh administration just is not um just dropped the ball on this one they dropped the ball on this one and they're failing the people um their their administration really has not been that active um so we we drafted a a budget proposal um that will that will aid struggling restaurants that that will aid um our our frontline workers and 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 you know compensate as much as much as we can you know their losses um from from this uh pandemic um we we drafted a, a budget that will that will increase um the um services to our to our tribal nations and, and people who live there we we increase um the VAs, <laughs> we increase the veteran affairs, but uh, budget, uh, as particularly the, the medical services um, sub appropriation, significantly, but by by five thousand um, percent, because beforehand it was it was dramatically underfunded. Um, we increased the, the the State Department budget um, to finally rebuild um, our foreign policy, and, and we increased. Um, our, our military budget um, up to four billion, so so we can actually start getting back to strengthening um, our military and making sure that it can actually serve our national security needs. Um, we've we've done a, a lot with this budget, including created a, a new campaign finance system that actually serves the people. It, it's a public financials, it's a public campaign finance system. In there, um, I recommend if you haven't already to to look at the budget. Um, or, or the press release on the budget because that explains a lot as well um, in more concise terms. Um, but, but frankly, this is this is a good comprehensive budget, and so I don't see why the the president would want to risk a shutdown by not agreeing to a budget that we are passing through Congress right now and hopefully get get through soon, you know, before the the budget deadline or at least soon after. Um, I don't understand why why you would risk having that. Right after a pandemic, um, but but that's that's the president's choice, really. If, if they would decide to um, veto it or not, um, that will decide whether or not we we have a shutdown. That's that's their decision. But thank you. The final question from uh, in this segment is: As president, would you pass economic stimulus to invigorate the economy post pandemic? And if so, do you plan to run a deficit? Um, so in regards to economic stimulus, we definitely have to make sure we take care of any lingering effects of, of the COVID-19 pandemic and, and the current budget proposal that Congress has, has written and drafted uh, definitely, um, definitely addresses that. We have, uh, to my understanding, about $290 billion, if, if my, my math is correct on that. Um, in in stimulus uh for for the economy um uh in this budget proposal um and in the future we would definitely be looking at um an epsilon administration would definitely be looking at uh, making sure that that we've taken care of um all the negative effects and in, in addressing that and, and especially uh helping the people who who are affected by those effects um in any future budget um would we be willing to take out a deficit for it you know, we prefer to pay for our, our proposals, but we're not at all opposed to a deficit. If the choice is between um, helping someone, you know, put their food on their table for their family, or, or you know, um, 
helping prevent a, an important small business from from shutting down because it has debt it's it's accrued from from having from being affected by by a shutdown for so long or you know um if the choice is between between that and, and allowing a individual to to um, bury a deceased relative um, who di who died from from the COVID nineteen pandemic, you know, with dignity and without being burdened by by a massive debt, um, like we we will take out a deficit. We're willing to take out a deficit for that. But obviously, we prefer to to pay for our proposals, and that's what we did with this budget proposal, and that's why. Um, this current budget proposal. That's why we're we're, we're currently projected for a um, uh, uh, a bi-monthly um, surplus, even uh, just a little. <laughs> but uh, we're we're you know we're still projected to have a bi-monthly surplus under this um, budget proposal, despite the fact that we're also you know able to address all these other needs now because because we actually have the, the you know we've actually decided to to fund some certain things and, and to invest in, in certain um, stimulus uh, programs that the economy needs and that the people we serve need. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I would say we're definitely looking at economic stimulus um, and making sure that that it, it takes care of any effects from the COVID-19 pandemic and whatever else we may need to address. Um, so, and we would be willing to, to take out deficit if necessary, but really our first goal is is to um, it's a pay for what for what we uh, uh, money on. So, thank you. We now move on to the third and final segment, which relates broadly to domestic policy. Mm -hmm. So, my first question is: Do you believe education should be managed by the federal government? And as president, would you bring would would you work to bring back the Department of Education? Um, I think the federal government has a, a major role in education. I really don't think that. The federal government it would frankly be irresponsible for the federal government not to be um at least have having an active you know education policy um in regards to you know whether or not it's better than, than state control well frankly that really depends a lot on, on what the federal government is doing um obviously the federal government right now supports the states through the education grant um and, and that's a great thing but you know, we can also have a more active um, education policy, and and one way you could do that is um, through uh, yes, the the former D Department of Education, which as we as we recently really um, have finally seen was the the abolishment of that was was not well done, unfortunately. That the Higher Education Act of 1965, which has um, a lot of important educational provisions, including uh, uh, federal student aid provisions, um, that was completely gutted by the abolishment of the Department of Education. So if you're talking about student aid, um, then yes, I think the federal government should be involved in that, or, or at the very least involved in, in making sure that students can um, afford um, an education, uh, especially a higher education. So um, in regards to whether or not we would look into having a Department of Education again, um, the, an EPSA administration would definitely be open to it, but it really depends on the specific um, provisions of, of any bill or proposal um, that comes forward and, and what we're doing with the, the, any possible federal involvement in education. Cool. Thank you very much uh, for the 
answer my second question in the segment relates to, in general, your opinion on reparations to African-Americans. Yeah, um, so unfortunately, our, our society has a, has a history of systemic racism. And frankly, whenever, every time, every time there's an issue in the United States, um, you'll, you'll hear this, and it's necessary because it's true. It's, um, you'll hear, this has a horrible effect on people, you know, it does all this bad stuff, particularly marginalized communities, like communities of color. Every, every time something bad happens in the United States, whether it's the Great Recession, whether it's this COVID-19 pandemic, it hits our marginalized groups like people of color much harder than, 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 than those in, in, in white communities. The simple fact of the matter is at, at the current rate, um, the, the the wealth gap between um, between the the black community and the white community will not close for centuries at this rate. Um, I'm talking like 200 over 200 years is, is the estimate um, to my understanding. The way we are addressing racial inequality right now is not an effective way to address racial inequality when it's leaving entire generations of people. Um, to, to deal with the effects of, of systemic racism um, uh, that, that we've seen all too often, unfortunately. And so an Epsilon administration would definitely look at ways to actually directly address this um, racial inequality. Um, and when we talk about, for example, reparations, um, a lot of people just think it's like a water cash. That's not really what people mean when they say reparations. It can be education programs, it can be healthcare programs, it can be, um, you know, job programs, and, uh, you know, it can also be more direct, and, and I think anybody who, who's looking at reparations should definitely study that issue. Um, but in regards to that, um, yes, the Epsilon administration would be very much in favor of, of actually, you know, directly addressing the racial inequality that's that's really plagued since its uh, very beginning, um, and we would we would be very interested in actually helping um, those communities of color, um, so they actually have the opportunities and, and um, resources that that they deserve, and aren't just being um, you know denied of that because of the the color of their skin, like they have been for for um, throughout the entire the entirety of, of U.S. history. Um, thank you. Thank you. Uh, my third question in this segment is on the topic of gun control and the Second Amendment. Mm -hmm. What is your general view on firearms and how would this influence your policy if you were elected? So uh, my general view on firearms would definitely be um, there, there's, uh, there can be reasonable reasons to, to own or to, or to use a firearm. Um, the way current U.S. gun culture works is, is not reasonable is not reasonable um, to allow anybody, um, regardless, frankly, of consequence, um, to, to own a gun, um, to be honest. Um, and we've seen the, the consequence of that through our, our gun violence rate and, and, and the deaths from that. Um, and so an Epsilon administration would definitely take that seriously and would work to put in, uh, frankly, common sense <laughs> um, you know, uh, uh, firearm policies um, 
um, to, to make sure that, that we no longer suffer from, from those um, from those high rates of, of gun violence and, and frankly abuse. Oftentimes it's, it's used to abuse and, and to, to harm mar marginalized groups um, to threaten them. Um, that, that's, that's unacceptable in my view. Um, you, you don't deserve it. You don't deserve a gun if, if you're using that to, to threaten others. Um, so um, an Epson administration would, would definitely um, look at, at further ways to um, control and reduce um, gun violence. So now we move on to a question from a Jeffersonian viewer who asks, mm -hmm. what is happening with our transportation and how do you plan to fix our transportation system if you are elected? So, so we definitely need to increase our investment in the transportation system, including in, in green infrastructure, um, like uh, charging stations, for example, which, which don't have to be as expensive as people think. Because the great thing about, for example, that kind of green infrastructure um, is that charging stations for electric cars, most people do that at their home because most of their you know, um, daily driving takes place near their home. So they just go home, they, they, they then use their um, charging station and their garage or, or somewhere like that. And so um, an Epsilon administration, for example, would, would increase investment in that um, um, and making sure that, that uh, those who want to do more uh, long range trips, especially are those in, in areas where they can't, you know, they don't have a garage or somewhere to put a charging station that those people are taken care of. But overall, when it comes to transportation, you know, it's an important issue um, right now, um, especially uh, right after the pandemic, which is which is devastating a lot of the transportation issue. And that's the reason why in this current budget proposal we have in Congress that we're that we're um, working on and debating right now, you know, we have a, a ten billion dollar transportation uh, relief fund to uh, provide some some aid to a sector that's that's really been struggling recently because uh, transportation is the lifeblood of um of our economy it's, it's it's what makes it you know work you know goods need to get from a to b um it will always be that way and so i uh we definitely um support increased um investment in our in our transportation and, and, and infrastructure um and any epson administration would would definitely um be looking at at uh, not only increasing investment in transportation infrastructure, but also in increasing investment in, in green transportation infrastructure. Um, thank you for that question, though. Uh, the final question is mm. from another viewer from Jefferson, who whose question does not relate to policy, but is important mm. nonetheless. Uh, the question is as follows. What is your opinion on people calling your campaign "Quote unquote to GLP and to Jeffersonian for the SDP GLP ticket." Yeah. Um. So so, uh, I have heard that uh once or twice before. Um. It's a, it's an interesting you know um, line of thinking because frankly, to my understanding, the last two winning presidential tickets that that the people backed, um, have been, um, individuals from from the same state. Um. I to my understanding, both Garland and Cabin. We're, we're in we're in the north at the time and in um sandoval bow for example they they're both from dixie um so i don't think that the american people really care about what state you're from that much um i think they're looking for the values that you have 
you know, um, the skills that you have, the experience you have, what you can bring to the White House um, in, in those policies that you're advocating for. And so I would say, and even when it comes for, for example, GOP versus SCP, we've worked hand in hand together for, for the entire time that the GLP has existed. And we continue and we intend to continue to do that. Um, and so I, it's just a little, it would be a little bit confusing, frankly, for, for some, for example, to, for a speaker who's been elected by the SDP in, in the house, you know, to, to be in that role, to be in that very powerful position, you know, it'd be, it'd be a little weird for us to just turn our backs on on SCP voters if we got elected all of a sudden. That's not going to happen under an Epsilon administration because we're there to serve the people, including SCP voters, who are a key part of our of our um, party base, of course. So, like, yeah, it, I I don't I don't really. I would just say that that an EMSA administration, regardless of, of you know the what geographic area we've come from or or what party we are, will will always um, serve you, the people. Um, and I think the the American people can see that, and that's that's why we we've had the support that we've had, regardless of of what state we've um, we've run in. For example, we've we've always gotten plenty of SCP votes. For example. Um, and that's because we, we work so well with them. We, we, we work hand in hand. Um, and regardless of what state we're from, um, the American people, at the end of the day, what they really care about are, are the policies that, that help them with the, those bread and butter issues, like how am I going to be able to afford um, dinner or um, how am I going to be able to afford the rent or um, you know, uh, how will I be able to afford health care, et cetera. So that's really what they're looking for. Not they're not looking for somebody just to to be there. Um, they're not looking for somebody just to be a a, a token um, from their state because they don't need that. They they need people that serve them. They don't need somebody who will who's from their state but will just be inactive and do nothing. And and that's why I, I chose uh, Rose McAllister as, as my vice president because she has a proven record of excellence in governance. Um, and managing and organizing, um, for example, the House, and she'll bring that to the White House um, and, and take those same skills to to actually whip it into shape after a, frankly, um, incompetent and, and mismanaged um, presidential administration. So uh, thank you for that question. Um, well, thank you very much for joining me today, Senator. I know uh, it's, a, it's, it's a busy time, but thank you for making, for taking the time Join, mm -hmm. uh, join me and to uh, answer the questions on the mind of America. Of course, it was a pleasure.